This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, and I am angry. I mean, I'm really angry. This is how I sound when I'm really angry. And my friend said, you never sound angry when you're angry. You sound kind of happy. But no, I am angry. Why? The woke mob managed to mess with several things that I love in one thoughtless act of mob violence, cruelty. What are you talking about, Jason Jones? I'm talking about Gina Carano, actress, athlete. I guess today we're supposed to say actor. Actor, athlete, and probably the smartest living human being. And let me get to that. But uh, now what, what are you talking about, Jason? Let me tell you what I love. Some of the things that are my part of my daily life that are the bright, shining parts of my day. Number one is Muay Thai kickboxing. Now, I know a lot of people don't know what that is, which is always shocking to me because I'm like, you know what tennis is, right? Well, Muay Thai is on the list of sports number one. Tennis is probably 23. Google Muay Thai kickboxing, just the best sport in the world, and I do it every day almost, every day I can Four, five, six days a week. It's my hobby. And it's my favorite sport. And I love it. Well, Gina Carano is a champion kickboxer. Absolutely amazing. She was an amazing athlete. She is an amazing athlete. MMA fighter. Muay Thai kickboxer. Okay? So they canceled Gina for saying something that was true. And and it was like Hannah Arendt haiku. So she says something that's true and beautiful, and she fits it into, like, Twitter. It was so true that, of course, the mob had to destroy her. And she is a kickboxer, and she is uh, also on one of my favorite programs, The Mandalorian, something I love to watch with my children, and the best director that has participated in The Mandalorian is Taika Waititi. So my loves are Taika Waititi, Mandalorian is something I like, Muay Thai, and Hannah Arendt. And you know, you're saying, what does this have to do with Hannah? I am telling you, and I'm about to read to you the quote from Gina. This is something that Hannah Arendt would have said. And I said on this podcast, the reason I got off Twitter, I'm gone, right? For those of you who don't know, I'm not on Twitter. I said on this podcast, it dawned on me that if Hannah... Arendt, the great political philosopher of the 20th century, in my mind, one of the greatest, right? Not the greatest. A German, a Jew, said very courageous things, and they tried, the mob tried to destroy her. The woke of her time tried to destroy her. And I said, but now, of course, she's universally celebrated. I said to myself, if Hannah were to tweet what she wrote for The New Yorker, they would have kicked her off of Twitter. And by the way, there's a movie I'm about to tell you to watch that'll explain all this to you if you don't know. I assume you know. Right? You listen to the Jason Jones Show. You are an admirer of Hannah Arendt, I assume. 
But if not, you have to watch the 2013 movie, Hannah Arendt. It'll give you a great introduction to her. Or the beautiful documentary, Viva Activa. Okay? Well, now I realize they would not have kicked her off of Twitter just then, you know, if there was Twitter then. If she were to try to tweet from her book, Eichmann in Jerusalem, today, they would kick her off Twitter. I, if I were still on Twitter, I would just start quoting Hannah Arendt from that book. Now, maybe I didn't structure this, this introduction correctly. Let me read to you what Gina Carano, the actress from The Mandalorian, who is a Muay Thai kickboxer, an MMA fighter, and genius, said. And then I'm going to compare it to Hannah Arendt and explain to you how they, to me, insulted Hannah. You know, brought Taika Waititi into this got because they got Gina kicked off of The Mandalorian, where they worked together, right? This is what she said. I'm looking for my glasses because I'm blind. I can't find them, so I'm going to squint. This is what she tweeted which is true and beautiful. She said this, quote, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that. To get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? So what Gina Carano said, and this set off a firestorm, hashtag fire Gina Carano. What she was saying is what Hannah wrote about Eichmann, that he was an unexceptional nobody. Now as a Christian personalist, I don't like calling anyone a nobody. Metaphorically, but she was saying he was a nobody. She said he was utterly unexceptional. What was so shocking about the crimes committed by Eichmann and so many others in the Holocaust is that they were nobodies, small, thoughtless. They gave up the right to think that abandoned their own personhood. She said beautifully that as Plato and Socrates taught the West, that thought is that place in your mind where you have a conversation with yourself and you make choices but they stopped having any kind of conversation and thoughtlessly responded it was amazing that Gina said uh, even children ran out of the streets and attacked Jews because you have very young kids on Twitter tweeting fire Gina Carano I'm going to read it one more time and I want you to tell me is there any hint of anti-Semitism. All right? Here we go. Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first had to make, make their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. So she got doxxed and destroyed for that, which is really haiku. It's like Eichmann in Jerusalem boiled down to a tweet. The banality of evil. That the crimes are committed by our neighbors, hating people, because they have disagreements with them on whether Jesus is the Messiah or whether minimum wage should be $22. And what she's saying is, isn't it really 
the height of pride and arrogance to hate somebody because of their belief on the incarnation of Jesus Christ or um, what minimum wage should be, what border policy should be, whether or not we... No, these are prudential decisions that I assume all of our neighbors... I really do assume all of my neighbors, regardless of what signs they have in their yard in October on even number years, wants what is best for the common good. That is my assumption, and I would be right 99.999% of the time. So Gina says something beautiful. She's destroyed by it. So this is a special podcast today. It's actually a movie. It, the, the idea behind today's show is there's an ice, icy storm front coming in, and the whole country is about to be buried in ice and snow. And so I want you to watch movies. And what's interesting is in my list of movies you're about to hear in the show I did with Kristen Hawkins on her podcast, and we're going to put her podcast, I'm introducing her podcast on my platform. So you're going to hear Kristen interview me for her show on my show. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're going to be hearing that. And we talk about what movies activists should watch. So Kristen really wanted to talk about what movies pro-lifers should watch. And she wanted to talk about pro-life movies. And we do do that. But then me, because I'm self-willed and hard-headed, I wanted to talk about the most beautiful movies that I want everyone to watch. And so we did that too at the end of the show. There were two movies I forgot to mention, which I'm going to mention in this introduction because they're the most important, that you need to watch tonight, okay? You need to watch tonight. So we talk about movies that everyone should watch, and you'll hear that in the interview, but I'm going to add two films to that. The first is from 2013. It's called Hannah Arendt. I think you can buy it on Amazon. It's, it's for free on the Criterion channel with the Criterion Collection. Or you can get it at your library, I'm sure. It's probably not the easiest film to find, all right? You have to watch Hannah Arendt. And again, it's about this courageous woman, one of the most courageous women of the 20th century. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit of the backstory, A little bit of gossip too, but I think the gossip's important. So Hannah Arendt was a student of Heidegger's and Karl Jaspers. And one of her classmates happened to be a young Leo Strauss who had an uh, was also kind of had a crush on her. But she was having an affair as an 18-year-old with the man that the woke mob of the time said was the greatest philosopher. And, he, and I'm sure they would probably, a lot of the woke would still say this. I think he's a lunatic, but that's Heidegger, Martin Heidegger. She was The 18-year-old Hannah Arendt was having an affair with Martin Heidegger. Why am I telling you this? This young German girl who was Jewish, young German Jew, was having an affair with this Professor Heidegger, who was considered the new Socrates, right? Greatest thinker since sliced bread, the guy. And he was married, da-da-da. Well, what does Heidegger do in 1933? You know, he joins the Nazi party. He, he, he doesn't want to drink hemlock. He's no Socrates at all. He conforms to the spirit of the age. He kneels before the altars of the gods of the city. He burns incense all day long to idols, because he's a coward. You know, to be a great thinker, you have to be courageous. So who was really the maybe the new Socrates in that classroom with Leo Strauss and Heidegger? It was Hannah Arendt because she never, ever pushed the hemlock away. She, Give me the hemlock. She drank it. Okay, so listen, what do I mean by that? So this young girl, she, uh, her professor, 
the most respected thinker in the world at the time, joins the Nazi party. She's Jewish. The Nazis hunt her. She makes it, she gets caught by the Gestapo, gets away, sent to a concentration camp, escapes, makes it to, makes it to Paris, then gets the United States. Okay, she's brilliant thinker. She has to go through all of this. Imagine 1933 to 1945. She escapes, but she's weathering this horrible storm now for what is it? You know, 13 years, right? Now she's, she's in the United States. She's becoming uh, a renowned writer and thinker. Then the Eichmann trial, the, the Eichmann trial takes place. And they hold it in Jerusalem, and she goes to the New Yorker, and she says, I want to write about this. She writes about it, Eichmann in Jerusalem, and it becomes extremely controversial, right? Very controversial. She is accused of being a self-hating Jew. All sorts of horrible things are said about her, because what did she say? She said what Gina Carano said. Eichmann was a nobody. He was incredibly unexceptional. He just wanted to please his employers. That he really was not an anti-Semite. He didn't hold to Jew hatred. He had friends that were Jews, helped, helped early in his life by family members who were Jewish in his career. He was thoughtless. She said that truth is too important to forget. And she said, I'm not forgiving him. This is not absolution. But it's important to know that nobodies can commit incredible crimes. That's what Gina Carano said. It was the nobodies running around, beating their neighbors, turning their backs when their homes were raided, pointing out the home where they suspected Jews were being hidden banality of evil. So the fact that the mob has turned on Gina Carano to me for saying something so simple and true is going to be a turning point in the history of this country. I think the battle is on. We will win. They are pushing all the beautiful people. And I'm not talking about conservative, left, right, Christians, evangelicals, Protestants, Muslims. No, no. They're pushing all of the beautiful people into one side of them, right? If you're beautiful, if you're kind, if you're thoughtful, if you're gentle, if you're not willing to shun and dox and destroy, get over there. You're done. You're canceled. Pretty soon, they will have canceled every thoughtful, creative, beautiful person in the world. We'll all be on one side. And then there'll be the homogenized lunatics, the, the thoughtless, banal monsters, all on the other side. Now, by the way, all of us can be swept away by enthusiasms. And that's what the, the whole, the Jason Jones Show shirts that we haven't even started selling yet because it's cold, or tank tops, we're waiting. And it says, you know, our mission is to be in solidarity with the vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable. So in the back of the Jason Jones shirt, it says be vulnerable. I founded this show to advance the interests of stateless, ethnic, and religious minorities, the vulnerable communities here in America, right? The child in the womb. I never thought I would have to defend superstar athlete actors from the culture of shunning 
So that's something all of us need to be thoughtful of. We are never going to shun anyone. And then when someone's being shunned, we do not count the cost. We stand with them. It's like we don't count the cost to stand with the child in the womb. We don't count the cost to stand with the Uyghur. We don't count the cost to stand with a celebrity in Hollywood who's being shunned or our neighbor who's being shunned or a classmate. If we see somebody being shunned, that's our new best friend. All right, that's all. So that's my rant. Now I'm going to introduce the show. It's going to be a cold um, weekend. Ice and snow. There's a 100-car pileup in Texas right now. I just saw on the news. 100-car pileup. Do not go on the road. What you're going to do is you're going to do a movie marathon. You're going to watch the films that Kristen and I talk about. Cyrano, Ridicule. Taika Waititi, you're going to do a Taika Waititi movie. You're going to do watch Jojo Rabbit. I hope, I pray, that Taika Waititi comes out in support of Gina Carano because his film, Jojo Rabbit, is really an anthem uh, for freedom. It's, it's, it's like the opposite of illiberalism. It's a celeb- it's, it, it pokes the cancel culture in the eye, really, it stands up to the spirit of the age. If there's one movie I would have everyone in the world watch, it'd be, it would be Jojo Rabbit. Watch Hannah Arendt. Watch Viva Activa. But before you do all that, you have to listen to uh, Kristen Hawkins interviewing me for her podcast. And then she gave me the audio, and I put it here. All right? So that's the whole point. I hope this made sense. Because I literally, I just came from doing Muay Thai. I was packing my bag putting my boxing gloves in, my shin pads, my wraps. And I saw the news that they're canceling Gina Carano. It kicked her off Mandalorian, that people are canceling their Disney subscriptions. And I think this ball is going to bounce very good in the long run for Gina, right? So, but I hope this made sense. This episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, creating a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. Our new movie, Divided Hearts of America, streaming everywhere and speaking of cancel culture this episode is also being brought to you by my pillow and i've been using it now for several months i'm not even going to get into all the reasons why i think we should support my pillow right now that are obvious you know that but that's an act of charity and we're not asking for an act of charity we're saying you should get the best pillow in the world which is the my pillow pillow but that's just the start. You know, it's, you can wash it. It doesn't get hot. It holds shape. Uh, made in America. But then the Giza Dream sheets are amazing. Could you imagine having the mattress topper? This is how my family is going to do our movie marathon. We're going to put the mattress topper in the TV room. We're going to have our Giza Dream sheets and our my pillows piled up. The kids will be drinking cocoa. We'll be drinking hot coffee. And we'll be watching beautiful movies together. I think we're going to watch Paul the Apostle. And we're going to watch um, Beckett because it corresponds with what they're doing with homeschooling. And we may watch Jojo Rabbit again. My kids love Jojo Rabbit. It's, it's tough, but it's for the whole family. Imagine being able to do that. You can do that. You just have to go to MyPillow.com, use the code Jones, and uh, you get deep, deep discounts. 
and it supports the show. It lets them know I'm working for them. You get deep discounts. All right, so here is Kristen Hawkins, um, president of Students for Life of America, interviewing me on movies. Uh, so I really hope you listen to the whole show, and I hope, but more importantly, I hope you watch all of these films. All right, here we go. Jason Jones Show. Welcome to this new episode of Explicitly Pro-Life Podcast. As you know, we are in season three, having difficult conversations. And we've been having a lot of conversations this season and we'll continue to do so. But today I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to to talk to you about pro-life movies because I have found that movies are a great way to have a difficult conversation with someone because you can outsource that difficult conversation by referring them to a movie or watching a movie with them. Uh, so joining me on this podcast is the resident expert in all things pro-life movies, Jason Jones, the founder of Movie Movement. Thanks, Jason, for coming on. Aloha and thank you for having me on. Well, if you all saw Jason or saw or watched us in um, the previous season, we did a kind of a big episode on can you be pro-life and vote for pro-abortion candidates. That was a pretty intense episode. Um, So if you got mad at Jason or I during the episode, I'm sure this one won't make you angry. How about that? It might. It might. I'll try to do my best to make someone upset with some of my movie selections. All right. So we're going to talk about the top pro-life movies and the top pro-abortion movies that you need to watch that will stir up conversations uh help you have hard conversations uh and then we're going to give you some homework jason actually has homework for us about movies that we as pro-life activists need to watch and he's going to tell us why and he started telling me about all of these things the other day and i was like we need to do a podcast on them if you all don't know jason you should check out movie to movement movie to movement.com he's the producer of crescendo um the new film divided hearts of america uh the like preeminent pro-life movie the first big pro-life movie to ever hit the mainstream media which was bella um he's won all sorts of some movie awards as, as a humanitarian he's used film um to promote the plight of the most vulnerable so he's awesome you should follow him on social media all right let's go into this best pro-life films to watch so let's go through what what's the what would you recommend be the regimen of pro-life film watching for like a students for life club or just like a new pro-lifer who wants to really watch every pro-life film well you know that question is why do we watch films or why do we tell stories and listen to stories and i think um it's to inspire empathy Especially those of us who are in the pro-life movement or when we're students, I can tell you when I was a college student, my big blind spot was my lack of empathy. I knew my abortion story. I knew abortion was a a, a sore subject with me, but I assumed that I I never assumed that the other people around me had had abortions. And Mm. so I could maybe not be as thoughtful as I should have been with my use of words. So... I would say when we're looking for movies for us as activists, it's not to inspire us to choose life, but maybe to give us empathy for young women who are in these crisis pregnancies. And so then I would have to shamelessly 
say that Bella is the very first movie that every pro-lifer should watch because Alejandro Monteverdi, our writer-director, did such a good job of allowing Nina, you know, uh, Tammy Blanchard's character, Nina, to share and experience with her as somebody who was involved in three teen pregnancies, I was, it, it, it did a good job of helping to capture sort of the fear and the loneliness and the despair that young women and young men, um, what happens to us when we find ourselves in an unexpected teen pregnancy. So Bella is where I would start. Yeah, I think Bella is an excellent movie. Um, and it also broaches, you know, adoption in a way um, that I think is is very thoughtful. So Bella, for sure. Um, what would be, and you can, can you, where can you watch Bella, I guess? Well, you know, Bella is pretty much everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's on Netflix. It's on Hulu. It's on, you know, it rotates on and off of Netflix. It's always available on Amazon. And another great place, you laughed at me when I said this to us the other day. One of my favorite places to go for movies is, what did I say and you laughed? Do you remember? I don't know. Oh, library. Library. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Because I was like, I don't even know where my library is, but yes. So okay. I, am, I am usually it's me and other homeless people, it, other homeless people. It's, you know, people don't use libraries anymore other than for shelter. But mm-hmm. I, I love our local libraries. I, I spend a lot of time in them and write in them. Also, you can find movies that you can't even order on Amazon. Like one of the movies I'm going to recommend, you would have to buy on Amazon. It's $50 and you can't download it. Uh, but you, I guarantee you, it's a, it's you can get it from your local library. So libraries are a great place to go. But because I make money off of Bella, I would hope that you actually purchase it on Amazon or wherever you buy it. Shameless plug, not so shameless. shameless. Yeah. All right. So I think Bella is a great movie. I think it's a great movie for you as a pro life activist to kind of um, really put yourself in her shoes. And what goes on in that moment of crisis. Um, but I think it's also a great movie for pro-choice friends um, to, to witness that um, and to, to see the decision-making process. Um, uh, second movie, I would say, would be Amazing Grace. I really love that story, the story of William Wilberforce. I would have never – it's in my list of movies that every activist should watch. So I wouldn't have given it for a pro. Yes. But to me, Amazing Grace is something all activists should watch. Yeah. I mean, I think it's how can you I mean, as a pro-lifer, when you watch the film and obviously they're not talking about abortion at all. um, But when you're watching this this film, the entire time you're thinking about our struggle here in the United States to end legal abortion and the same arguments that were made and the same tactical discussions that we've had in the public movement and you kind of see them being live, living out in the life of William Wilberforce. Um, I think that it's an amazing film. Uh, it will inspire you as a pro-lifer to keep going. I know that's one of the questions that we often get at students for life is how do you avoid burnout? How do you keep your you know, motivation high despite all the setbacks that we face? Um, and I think it's, you know, just having this unrelentless drive uh, to and this grittiness to just keep moving forward. And I think when you think of that, you can think of William Warforce and his life uh, and the sacrifices that he made. All right. What's your can next? Can I tell you something else what I sure. liked about that film? Yeah. Uh, when he, you remember when he sort of God told him his mission was to end slavery. 
and he was young and he was rolling around in the grass and he was giddy. I know my purpose in life and his friend thought he was nuts. But then we see how quickly he ages and how long and hard the struggle was. And I think that's something that people in the young, young people in the pro-life movement need to understand. When I saw that movie now, I think 20 years ago, almost, even then, and I was 20 or 15, 16 years younger than I am now, I felt like I was in the movement forever. I'd been out of college for a decade. And I remembered how as a young activist, how enthusiastic I was. And when I saw that scene and, and how the film ends, I remember thinking, this is going to be a long hard struggle and I will be diminished in the struggle. Something else I loved about that film was the diversity of the abolitionists. You had the Jacobin that always smelled of booze, who was kind of an angry pessimist. You had William Wilberforce who not only wanted to end slavery, the slave trade, but he wanted to reform morals and manners. So you had one guy that smelled like whiskey and he was a womanizing Jacobin. And on the other hand, you had this diverse coalition the pro-life movement, and really in large part, thanks to you, Students for Life, and your generation, mm. there was a time where I, as a young atheist, was the was the diversity in the pro-life movement. Like, bring that atheist kid. I'm a Catholic now, but then <laughs> bring the atheist kid up. Blonde hair, blue-eyed atheist, that was our diversity. But sort of with the millennials and Gen Z and social media, we see now this, this flowering diversity of all sorts of folks with all sorts of ideas and cultures but that are committed to protecting the child in the womb from violence. And that can cause trouble, right? There's, there's, there's conflicts or there can be that's, that's, you see all of that in amazing grace. You do. I, you're talking about how he started this battle as a young man and the joy that he had. I think you see that all the time at, at the pro-life March in Washington, DC. And you always see this joy of young pro-lifers who are there rallying for this morose, you know, anniversary that the, that the, the day we recognize and remember the 16 million that we've lost, yet you have these joyful, smiling faces because so many know that this is their calling, this is their mission in life. And there's a great William Wilberforce quote we always put at the top of our Students for Life newsletters. Um, if, if you don't get our newsletter, you can just sign up on our website. Um, but it's, we are too young to realize that certain things are impossible, so we will do them anyway. <laughs> That's I think my favorite lines. I love it. Yeah. That, that pretty much sums us up. All right. So we have Bella, uh, Amazing Grace. What would be your next kind of pro-life film, pro-life movie folks should watch, should recommend I, to friends to watch? Can I give you a double feature? Okay. Give me a double feature. By the way, with Amazing Grace, I think you should also watch Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Hmm. Because, you know, Malcolm X's father was murdered by the Klan, cut in half across the trolley track. And sort of Malcolm X, believe it or not, Malcolm X and William Wilberforce have very similar journeys, heroes' journeys. So I think they're two good films to watch. By the way, both of them were pro-life. Malcolm X and William Wilberforce were both pro-life. So my next double feature, I think that you should do that as a double feature. And then my next double feature would be a Diablo Cody marathon. Mm. You should watch Juno. And then the and then young adult, and those two films together are beautiful. And, and uh, so many of Diablo Cody's films touch on abortion. Um, but when you watch Young Adult, after you watch Juno, I think it Diablo as a writer is telling us a lot, you know, and about her own experiences. I think she's very revealing. I won't say what I think she reveals, but you can watch them yourself. But I would say Juno and Young Adult. What do you say about that? I think it's very good. I mean, I think Juno was on my list of like the unintentional pro-life movie. 
you know, it was this mainstream movie and it, it kind of got everywhere. It was everywhere. You could get it at a blockbuster. I'm aging myself. I know. Um, you, you saw it at the movie theater, but then it had this incredible pro-life message to it. And oh. I think it, it was, it was great. And I know you had some like backstory and behind the scenes that you can't really talk about. Well, I can't, I can say, no, not about this film, but I can say this about Diablo. She's from my neighborhood where I grew up. And, um, you know, she wrote a book called Candy Girl about her working in the the sex industry as a writer also for radio stations in Minneapolis. And um, she had changed her name to Diablo. She wrote in that book Candy Girl. Uh, I think that was the title. It's been 20 years since I read it. But it's sort of about how she kind of wanted to suffer. So I I read into it that Juno is her story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Juno is very much like her. And personality-wise, and um, except she didn't choose life, that's what I'm taking from that. And when you watch Young Adult, it seems to be the second half of that story. But what's so beautiful about Young Adult is I think Leo Strauss in, in his book, which everyone should read, uh, Persecution in the Art of Writing, especially in the age of mass censorship, Leo Strauss, Leo Strauss writes on how we can dissemble or how we can speak between the lines and Diablo, there's that powerful scene where Juno's walking into the abortion clinic and the young girl um, who has perfect English, except for when she writes her sign. And uh, which to me was Diablo being clever, trying to throw off the studios. Uh, but but she said to Juno, don't you know your your baby has fingernails? Mm-hmm. And Juno stops and says, fingernails? Huh. And to me, that was that was an example of speaking between the lines. Uh, and then, of course, Juno chooses Juno chooses life. But there are so many examples of that in Juno. Of I think the writer Diablo Cody is speaking through the lines. Another example would be in, in her, her movie Young Adult, which is about. Have you seen Young Adult? Nope. Oh, you've got to see Young Adult. It's about a young. It's about a young adult fiction writer who is from Minneapolis, or she, she's from a small Minnesota town, but to her small town friends, she's the, now the big city girl because she lives in Mini, the Minneapolis, the little New York, you know, Minneapolis. And uh, she gets a, a fax, I think, of all things, from her high school college sweetheart that he's having a baby shower with his wife. So she goes back to her small town with the idea she's going to win him back after like 20 years. And at the, at this party, the climax of the party, she says, we were in love. This should have been mine. I could have had this first. Then she spills sangria across her womb. And so this red sangria is dripping down. And she says, you know, because I got pregnant and Then there's three beats, beat, beat, beat. I had a miscarriage. Now, I believe that she probably originally wrote abortion and her manager agent or the producer like, no, you can't say that. So what Diablo did, which was so clever, is she put in those three beats. Now, this is where it gets weird. You're going to think, Jason, are you remembering this right? Yes, because I saw it at the theater three times. When you heard in the space of those three beats, when she said, I had a what? What do you think a young unmarried college student when she said, but I had a what? 
And those three beats, everyone in the world, abortion went in their mind. What they did is they took out, they edited out the beats for the DVD VOD release. Interesting. Unbelievable that you can't even dissemble a pro-life message with the studios. Uh-huh. So, but Diablo outsmarted them. So I believe that she's very pro-life and mm-hmm. so many of her, in her TV and movies, there's, there's, there's so many messages celebrating the dignity of the child in the womb and also the, the pain um, that abortion inflicts on women. Yeah, I have never watched it. I'm definitely going to check it out now. And this would be good for you if you're leading a student's life group or have a, you know, a local right to life group. You could actually make these like Zoom movie nights where you can, I think on Zoom, you can, I know some of our students' life groups have been kind of having shared movie nights where someone shares their screen, watches it, and you guys can be having a conversation while the movie is going on if you're still in like COVID restrictive mode where you are. Um, I think that's, that's a great, great idea. What about some other pro-life films? We talked about some double features, Amazing Grace, Malcolm X, Juno, Young Adult, which I have to go check out now. And I need to write this down before I forget. Um, what about another movie that you've made that's a short film? Well, Crescendo, I think, is the most beautiful short film ever made. And again, uh, we made Crescendo to be a pillar to the dignity of the child and the womb and and to the struggles of, of mothers in those difficult positions that we wanted to transcend culture and time. And it's it's free on YouTube. And we also allow any and all groups to license it at no cost. Mm-hmm. If you need something for your university, we can send you something saying you're, you're licensed to show it. Um, but we've made it available to the public. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, there's there's. I've, I've famously said I don't believe in pro-life apologetics, right? Because that film is pro-life apologetics. (laughs) Well, it's storytelling, right? But but a lot of folks who are into pro-life apologetics will say, hey, they criticize the film Crescendo. And they'll say, what you're saying is Beethoven's, you know, is valuable because he's Beethoven. That's not what we're saying, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. We're just telling a story that happens to be true to show that when we're in difficult situations, which all crisis pregnancies seem to be, but then in retrospect, really, they're not. I mean, I can say that as somebody... Who had my? I had a son at 18 and a daughter at 19. You know, as a high school dropout, working night shifts and was an infantryman and doing all I had to do. Uh, in retrospect, it wasn't hard. You know, it seemed hard to a pampered, decadent world. It's just life, and I'm grateful for it all. But what we wanted to show is, you know, Beethoven's mother actually was going through severe hardship, mm-hmm. and um, she was in an abusive situation with a very bad man as her husband. Uh, but she came through. And she chose life. And of course, the most beautiful thing about her choice isn't the music of Beethoven. It's that creature made in the image of God that's Beethoven. Um, But that's why we make movies, to inspire empathy, to tell stories, to lead people to the truth. Um, I was obsessed with logic and argument and debate until I saw a movie, which we'll get to, is a college student that changed my whole life. It changed how I wanted to do what what I felt called to do. I, I went from being a logic TA to wanting to be involved in media because of a French film I saw in 1996, which we'll get to. But that's the goal of Crescendo. And that's something you guys use it. And if you want DVDs, email me. I'll give you as many free DVDs as you need. Um, you know, they're there for you. That's awesome. I love Crescendo because it does. It answers that 
those hard, that hard question that you often get as a pro-life activist. And I think it's something that if you're going to have a movie night on that, especially if you're doing it in person or Zoom, invite every pro-choice friend you have to join, to join a watch and then have a real discussion about the film. And it's only 15 minutes. It's a short film, but it's a high quality. You know, my struggle with in the pro-life movement is I get sent books, videos, music, flags, all kinds of things that are like pro-life. And then I, I'm so critical about, you know, um, the quality that we're putting out to make sure that every time we make a film um, that we say it's pro-life, it is the top you know, the highest quality that you, that a film can be, can be had right at this moment, because I think it gets judged extra than any other film. Um, so, Hey, so I think Christina is a great film. That's a great film, especially to invite somebody who's on the fence to watch and listen and have a conversation with, especially since it's so short, it's beautiful. Um, movies about the abortion industry. How do you feel about, uh, Gosnell and Unplanned, the Abby Johnson story. I mean, uh, Gosnell, I think, was on Netflix, uh, something similar like that. Unplanned was in movie theaters for a sh- short amount of time. What do you think about these films? I feel like they're kind of like the acting. It's it's kind of like Lifetime movie. It kind of feels like a Lifetime movie, I feel like. You know who was the CNN reporter in Gosnell, right? <laughs> I know. I, I was invited to be an extra too. You always use that. Like you're an extra. Well, you're no, I was invited. I was just too lazy I to go to the homework. Well, but you're, you're saying that my, my, I was like a lifetime extra. I think I was like a big movie extra. I feel like I was like a <laughs> Jurassic Park extra. I feel I did my job. You did your job very well. And I, I thought the movie was great. In fact, at the end of Gosnell, you see Students for Life banner. And because the makers of Gosnell wanted to recognize because Students for Life was there during the, the hearing, during during the trial. And we were there protesting in Philadelphia. Um, so I was very grateful that they included us in that. Um, but I think these are really important movies because they really get into like just the true violence of the abortion industry, what really goes on. Um, how do you feel about these movies, you know, in terms of having a conversation, sparking a conversation with someone in your life who might be pro-life? Do you think, not pro-life, do you think that these would be effective movies to to watch with them or to show them or refer them to? Yeah, I mean, let me say this about both Gosnell and Unplanned. They were, you know, when we judge a lot of times, we 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 watch a lot of low-budget films, right? I, I just did a Kung Fu marathon with my wife watching all these Jackie Chan movies over a couple of months. We watched every Jackie Chan film. Um, but we judge our own films harshly when they have a lower budget. But we have to understand, and, and, and I'll say this about Gosnell and Unplanned, brilliant filmmaking. Mm-hmm. When you look at what the budget they had. Oh, yeah. I mean, startlingly beautiful, great storytelling, wonderful direction and acting. Gosnell, I was the CNN reporter. You see me half the movie because I'm right behind Gosnell. I'm like, I'm like this extra that's hogging. I'm like, uh, what's her name? Phoebe and Friends, where she's an extra. She can, you know, remember that? Where she's an extra. She's in every scene. Um, uh, but I, as, as I was sitting there watching the court trial, I really did forget that I was on a movie set. And as the nurse was testifying, I began to cry. And I'm thinking, CNN reporters don't cry. I'm the worst extra ever. Um, So Gosnell is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Let's say this about Unplanned. I actually was in the running to direct, uh, to produce uh, uh, Abby's story. 
And when when Chuck and Carrie got the funds together and went to Abby, I encouraged Abby to go with them because a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, I think, as the saying goes. Sure, whatever. I, I, I still said, don't get it. <laughs> I said, I go with them. Uh, but I I knew in my mind, I'm like, I would do a better job. But no, I wouldn't have. They would they did. I would have never had the courage to do as someone who's been in the movement for so long. They showed an abortion. They showed two abortions. Mm -hmm. And I would have never done that. I would have never had the courage to do that. And it was such the right decision, especially the chemical abortion. That is the most powerful scene. Of, and Chuck and Carrie, the producers of Unplanned, actually have given Students Life the rights to that scene oh, where cool. we've been showing it on campuses. We made it into like a short clip that we put on Facebook. It got like millions of views. We put no money behind it. Just put it on Facebook one weekend this April, actually. Tens of millions of views. That scene of the chemical abortion, especially as we go in, as we're, you know, just starting off 2021, chemical abortion is going to be like is going to be the battleground of the pro-life movement because the abortion industry, this is what they want. They want to close down the brick and mortars. They're too expensive. There's protesters. They have to pay to dispose of the bodies. Chemical abortion is the way for them to go. That That's how they're going to make the most money. And they're conning women into believing that the chemical abortions are somehow easier, gentler. Um, in fact, they're extremely painful. They're lonely they can take weeks to complete, to end the life of the child. Uh, five to 15% of those abortions don't actually even end up discarding the human being so that the, the woman still has to go through a surgical abortion. She can hammer, I mean, it, I could go on and on and on of just about chemical abortion. In fact, I think I have a whole podcast episode just about chemical abortion. But that scene of unplanned, like they actually, I remember they called me because they asked me, should we take this out of the movie before it goes to the movie theater? Because when they were screening it to all the donor types, they had people pass out at uh, the screenings because it's so gory. And I was like, please, whatever you do, do not cut that scene out. Because for me and for what we do at Students for Life, that's the most powerful scene in the movie, that chemical abortion scene. Yeah, and it, and it is. I think what makes it so powerful for us is because of what we do. So many people tell us about their chemical abortion stories mm -hmm. and it perfectly synced with what I heard so many of my friends tell me they went through. And so Abby is our friend. So as I was watching that, I was just broke down because my friend went through that. So many of my friends went through that mm -hmm. and they all thought that that was just them. And they're always told, oh, that's strange. That's not usual. No, that's normal. Mm -hmm. That's what happens and yeah i think unplanned and gosnell yes everyone needs to watch both those films and share them as as much as possible and for student clubs you, yeah. you know really can do now there have been so many pro-life films and i don't like that term pro-life you know i say i make i'm not a pro-life filmmaker i make story i try to make films that tell the truth about the beauty of the human person and to inspire solidarity with the vulnerable um i'm not making commercials but I want to tell stories that 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 reveal the truth about the human person. And both Gosnell and Unplanned do that in such a, a powerful way. And that it's they're brilliant. It's brilliant filmmaking as well. Yeah. And I would encourage you I, just when you're talking, you reminded me, we actually at Students Life just released a 70 page digital book. You can download it for free. It's this is chemical abortion dot com. 
um, because this summer during the COVID shutdowns, we started going into pregnancy center chat rooms, having conversations. We've saved several babies, dozens of babies just by our own team going into pregnancy center chat rooms, having conversations. But what we unintentionally found were women who had undergone chemical abortions are going to these pregnancy chat rooms and fully giving up details about the horrific nature of their abortion, specifically the chemical abortion. So we not even in the movement. They're just saying, don't do it. These are women who probably might even still call themselves pro-choice, but talk about the horrific nature of their chemical abortion. And they're going to these chat rooms to tell other women, don't be fooled. Don't do this. And we actually, we collected all of these stories just unintentionally. We stumbled upon all of these stories this summer in a book and we're distributing to members of Congress, but you can get it. I would totally encourage you. It's totally free. This is chemicalabortion.com. Okay. More movies. Um, let's talk more about the like, um, kind of in the Juno young adult, those unintentional mainstream movies that have a a really significant message, a strong talking point, um, uh, for the pro-life movement. I mean, I, we, we, TV, there's lots of examples. You, I think you remarked earlier before we started filming South Park is a pro-life organization. Uh, South Park is my favorite pro-life organization. (laughs) After Students for Life of America, Jason. Yeah, South Park is my second favorite. Um, So one movie that I think about, and I think I actually own this on DVD, is Knocked Up. Um, I mean, that think about, I mean, that movie where, you know, it's an unplanned pregnancy. It's a one night stand. uh, There's a there's a there's a conversation between the men about. Uh, some smismortion. They wouldn't even say the word abortion in the movie. And if he should have a smismortion, um, it, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's, I think it's a pretty good movie of the chaos that, that would and does ensue after a one night sand results in the creation of a new human life. And understandably, any thoughts on knocked up? Look, when I, I speak, I, I start naming, I always tell people Hollywood is anti-abortion. I'm not saying it's pro-life, but mm-hmm. the stories they tell, Yep. are anti-abortion and I'll start naming them and I ask people who raise their hand, I'll, I'll name all the movies and I, I, I say knocked up last and like one person will kind of do this and I'll be like, go to confession. But look, knocked up is a wild movie. It is. Don't tell your parents I'm telling you to go see it. Watch it's fine. It's, it's to save the babies. It's for a watch, good college. Watch it when it's on Lifetime. If you're in college, I don't know. But, but knocked up, my kids, I won't let them watch it until they're 27, but I think it's the best. It is... It is amazing. It's got such a sense of life, mm-hmm. such a, a joy of life. Mm-hmm. Well, it deals with the struggles. Again, I see a little dissembling. I think that the writer was pro-life. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, they wouldn't say the word, you know, smash motion. And you have a, a woman who gets her dream job, mm-hmm. who gets knocked up by the world's biggest loser, who is a pothead, unemployed, but he has big dreams. He wants to be a tabloid pornography website developer. He wants to take basically, um, it, you know, videos of celebrities that are leaked and put them all in one place. So the world's biggest loser and this woman with everything to lose gets pregnant from this guy on a one night stand. She's willing to sacrifice her career for that life. Mm. It's such a powerful film, such a, it's funny. And again, it, it has. Uh, it's not heavy. It, 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 it's it's that it's a roller coaster. 
but it has a beautiful sense of life. Mm-hmm. You're right. Absolutely. I, I like it. And, and it's funny. And it made me laugh several times. So that always is a good thing. Um, all right. So you mentioned a couple of movies. Waitress, Sarah's Key. What are these movies? Yeah. Waitress, Sarah's Key is amazing. So let's do Waitress. Waitress, oh. it's really a sorrowful story. The writer, who's also acts in it, she got pregnant and she couldn't bring herself to have an abortion. She she felt like a bad feminist because she couldn't have an abortion. She felt like a bad mother because she didn't want to have a baby. And she wrote this script to sort of grapple with that. Hmm. Sadly, after the movie came out, a few weeks after, I think it was at Toronto, she was murdered in Central Park. Yeah. So this movie was really just a beautiful gift to her child, her daughter, who her daughter's in the movie um, with Carrie Russell, who's also in. In August Rush. So August Rush and and um, Waitress, maybe it would be a good double feature uh-huh. uh, to watch together. But what I love about the film is, and you can YouTube her singing. Um, uh, there's, a, there's this beautiful song she sings while she makes her pies. Baby, don't you cry. Baby, don't be blue. Mama's making a pie with a heart in the middle, something like that. And every time she's making these pies because she makes these wonderful pies as she's pregnant by a husband who is uh, kind of cruel and abusive. And she ends up having an affair in the middle of her pregnancy. She, but she's making these pies and she's singing this song every time she makes a pie. But when she talks, she tells people she doesn't want this kid. She tells everyone she doesn't want this kid. But when she makes her pies, she sings the song, baby, don't you cry, baby, don't be blue. Mama's making a pie with a heart in the middle. Well, one of the most powerful scenes in Hollywood history is when her baby is born, she sings this song to her baby. You realize she was never singing that song to her pies. She was pregnant. She was singing to the child in her womb. The way she looks at her child, as I can tell you when I was a teen parent and I cut my son's umbilical cord, it captures it perfectly. And here's, she's telling everyone she doesn't want this kid, but when she holds this kid, she says, oh my God. Oh, my God. Then she sings the song, Baby, Don't You Cry, Baby, Don't Be Blue. And each of her pies is unlike any other pie she ever made. So it's sort of like a parable of the human person. Mm-hmm. Is each and every human being is unique and has an incomparable dignity. Again, there's a lot of hair in the soup. This is not Christian movie review time. This is a film from the world that tells the truth, mm-hmm. um, written by a woman struggling with what did it mean to be a feminist? What did it mean to be pro-abortion? What did it mean to, to be pregnant? And, and, and all these things she was grappling with, it came out so powerfully in this film, Waitress, which I believe was on Broadway prior to the shutdown as well. Uh-huh. Um, Sarah's Key is another film that, that sort of connects the culture of death that we're battling today, the culture of abortion to the Holocaust. Again, you call unintentionally pro-life. It's a film that tells a story and the story reveals really the sorrow and horror of the culture of death and how intimately it is connected to the ideologies of evil that ravaged the 20th century. Serious Key is, is the type of film you're gonna wanna watch one night um, alone. And then, and then it might lead into the, the films I have, which I wish every activist would watch. All right. Okay. A couple more pro-life films or okay. potentially pro-life films. One that I saw was um, our team recommended was A Quiet Place, that mo- that the the eyeless monster movie, the horror movie with John Krawinski from The Office. 
Mm-hmm. Because this is, you know, what you can't make any noise. If you make noise, you'll be eaten alive. Yet, in spite of this, they decide to have a baby. And that's the one, you know, a baby obviously is going to make noise. Uh, and that's the one thing that you can't do. And so I've never watched it because I was too afraid to watch it. Okay. Um, but it sounds like an unintentional pro life movie. What about August Rush? Rush, you mentioned oh, that oh, as part of a double feature with Waitress. Yes. So August Rush is sort of a fairy tale. Um, it seems to me, it seems to be like a fairy tale of post-abortion healing. Mm-hmm. It, uh, Carrie Russell gets pregnant as a young girl. She's a musician, and she is forced to have an abortion. But it's sort of this fantasy sequence that, that, that she does have a child out there and that the man is still out there and that they all find each other. Uh, so it's sort of like the loss that everyone involved in an abortion sort of grapples with. Mm. How could you unravel? How could you hit the rewind button? How could everything be right again? So to me, August Rush, written by a friend of mine. Uh, I, I need to get a hold of the writer because my I have a good friend who went to school with the writer. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking when you watch it, this writer knew what he was doing and what he wanted to write was a film that would be edifying to people who were suffering from the sorrow of abortion. Mm-hmm. It just seems that's what it does so well that it's so brilliant and beautifully written. August Rush, anyone who's posted aboard, if I think, can watch it. But yeah, it's a very beautiful, very unique film unlike anything you've ever seen all right and that also has carrie russell in it yeah mm-hmm. okay so double feature for your club all right before we get to the homework let's go over some pro abortion movies that are obviously made uh with the intention to promote abortion which is interesting because there was an article after knocked up came out there were several articles that came out in hollywood criticizing hollywood for being too pro-life I remember reading this one article of why can't we make abortion funny? Like that was literally like the crux of the article that the abortion industry was angry that Hollywood wasn't making funny abortion movies, which is why there was a big write up this summer in the Washington Post, like style. It was like one of the Sunday editions of this um, director of the Planned Parenthood, like Hollywood Center. And so Planned Parenthood now has like a full time team of people who are there in Hollywood. They work with Shonda Grimes, all those people who put you know abortion in their shows to make sure they're being medically accurate, the, the language that they're using to describe abortions. But their whole goal at Planned Parenthood, this kind of mu- movies um, institute they have, is to impact Hollywood and to get Hollywood to talk more about abortion, to try to normalize abortion because Hollywood recognizes recognize they recognize that Hollywood for so long has been doing really unintentional or intentional pro-life filmmaking. So the, I think their first one was from recent memory was obvious child. I always sometimes call it oblivious child, but it was like supposed to be like this abortion rom-com. They called it for this woman, Jenny Slate. She was in uh, uh, on SNL. She's like a comedian. She has a one night stand and she ends up having like an abortion. And it's weird. Like it's weird because the acting is, it's lifetime movie quality, but it was, you know, in, it was supposed to be mainstream movie, but, but it was like this weird, like commercial for Planned Parenthood, like in the middle, like it didn't even look right how they kind of 
cut in Planned Parenthood into this movie. So I'm sure Planned Parenthood funded a lot of the the, the movie. Um, what other movies can you think about how to have like a very obvious um, Cider rules. Oh, yep, Cider House Rules. Yep. It, was, it was it was an intentional propaganda film, but again, yep. it's so gross. And here's the reality. Stories ring true or false. It, 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 for the abortion industry trolls watching your show, I'm going to give you some advice. Uh, don't try to make pro-abortion movies because you can't. They'll, they'll never ring true. That's right. For them to ring true, they have to be sorrowful. All the movies on abortion that come out of Hollywood, so many of them that they call pro-life, were probably written by people trying to advocate for abortion. But in their own heart, when they write their own story, it, it will ring true. It will ring pro-life. So the only way to, to even me as a filmmaker, I don't want to make propaganda. We can never change a story to fit our ideology. Right. In, in in Crescendo, we didn't make Beethoven's dad. He didn't come home and say, honey, here's flowers. He called her an ugly slut, an ugly whore. Um, uh, and and Bella, Nina didn't, you know, have a bed of roses. She had a very sorrowful, hard life. Mm -hmm. um, so when you watch it, rings true, and you want to tell the truth. Even when you're writing a, a, a story yeah. fiction, when you're doing narrative fiction, you want to reveal truth. Um, there's there's no way you could do that. You know, maybe you make a film like Precious, um, where you just show someone in a really hard place, suffering abuse, uh, suffering all sorts of hardship. But even then... Uh, you know, I think the abortion would be just perceived as another abuse, another injustice on the on the woman suffering. So I, I just don't think they can do it. it it's when they try. Um, even in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you're probably too young for that. Have you ever seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? I am too young for that. Have you heard of it? Yes, I have. It's in the Smithsonian. I'm not that young. It's a Gen X classic. But when the young woman gets an abortion, I mean, Fast Times at Ridgemont High comes across as a pro-life movie yeah, because uh, she goes, oh, you know, he, the guy that gets her pregnant, who's much older, asks how much the abortion is. And she goes, it's $600 at the free clinic. Like, this is the early 80s. And he goes, $600 doesn't sound free to me. So it's already hinting at that the abortion industry is, um, is uh, you know, it's about yeah, money. Abusing women. women. Yeah. There were two movies that came out recently. There was that unpregnant movie that HBO put out of two teenage girls. I think they're in like Missouri. The one's pregnant and they travel to like New Mexico for like a late term abortion. There was a movie. I think it was on the mainstream. I, I don't know if it was on the screen or not. Cause like, if it's not like a Disney movie that my kids are into, I wouldn't know, but it was never rarely, sometimes always. Okay. And a, a girl goes to a pregnancy center they basically, you know, make fun of the pregnancy center for misleading her. And then she ends up having to travel from like rural PA to New York to get an, an abortion because she's a minor. And that was a mainstream film. Uh, I remember getting some media requests for that. Um, so I haven't seen either one of those films. Have you seen those films yet? Oh, I will make it. A, I, I didn't even hear the last one. So, so there's I, your homework. Yeah. So my, you need to watch them. Um, um, the abortion movie that I think about when I think about intentional uh, movies to kind of um, promote abortion or abortion culture is Dirty Dancing, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. There, I'm all going to get that, that. All the hate mail comes. I well, how, Dancing, Patrick Swayze. But yeah. 
I mean, some some of the students here probably who are listening, um, I have a very diverse audience for this podcast. So we have students for life leaders, we have supporters. So there's actually some generational divides. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But if, if you're in high school, you might have never heard it, um, but it is a really good movie, except for the abortion. But well, you know, um, I had a friend that was in a new remake of, of that who didn't want to do it because her, she was the character that had the abortion. Mm. And she asked me what I thought. And she actually was in the press saying that her pro-life friend talked her into doing it because she wasn't going to do it. And I said, you know, um, let's do it. Just show the transformation of the character. Mm-hmm. We're not trying abortions happen. Mm-hmm. We just, I think Dirty Dancing comes from an era where abortions were bats mitzvahs, that we were told they're a coming-of-age ritual when yep. I was, you know, that it's a, it's, a, it's a grain of sand and a teaspoon of blood. And I think so Dirty Dancing comes from that era of naivete where yep. most people probably really believed that abortion was a relatively simple procedure and there was no harm done to the woman physically or psychologically. So you're never going to get something that innocent again. I would say that, oh, there's another powerful movie uh, that, that, that talks about abortion from the same time, um, which was Officer and a Gentleman. That's right. Okay. She gets yep. pregnant. And again, it comes from that kind of innocent period. He goes, why don't you tell her to get an abortion? Ah, she can't. She won't. She's Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> also, The Godfather. You know, so abortion pops up in a lot of films. Um, in the 70s and 80s, there was more of a naivete and an innocence to it. Um, but now we see it represented more accurately because I think the writers themselves have had abortions. And I think that's why for us, like watching this, never, maybe, sometimes, always, I want to watch it. I have to imagine whoever was motivated to produce that and to write that was impacted by abortion. Like, they can't say they weren't. Why are they writing it? Because abortion impacted them. They they weren't pre-Roe. They weren't impacted because they had to have a quote-unquote kid. No, they were impacted because of their experience having an abortion. Mm. And so much I say in the pro-life movement, it's really a battle in this country. The battle is between those of us who have had abortions against those of us who've had abortions. You know, that's so much of the leadership in both of the movements. So I want to know what they're feeling and what they're thinking. I want to understand how they've been impacted by their abortion. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. And I think that's why you see sometimes, and we see this in the pro-life movement, those who've had abortions, you know, that's how we, when we're teaching students how to recognize post-abortion syndrome, because those who come out and scream at you and spit at you and curse at you, uh, or if you're ever at the Supreme Court with us for a Supreme Court hearing or nomination of a a pro-life Supreme Court justice, uh, the Women's March, you will see that. And you know it's post-abortion syndrome of this feeling of anybody saying anything negative against abortion is an attack on me and and I you know I can't stand any you know any divergent opinions about what I chose to do with my child uh and and why I chose abortion all right so let's go we got a few minutes left give us your homework for us I didn't want you to shortchange me for the homework I know you've been dying for this so let's give us your homework I want to do this just to tell you to watch these movies Right. Okay, so I'm gonna name all. I'm gonna name all six. Okay, and then I'm gonna name three uh, producer directors to study. Okay. okay, so here are the six. Number one is Ridicule. Ridicule. It's a French film from I think 1996. You can only get it at the library. You're gonna have to spend 50 bucks, or you can ask me. I'll lend you mine, but you better give it back. back. Number two is Amazing Grace. Number three is Cyrano, the Gerard Depardieu Cyrano from the early 90s. 
Spell number, that, please, because I don't know how to spell it. And I'm going to come back to them. I just want to make sure we get them all out. All right. Cyrano is C-Y-R-A-N-O. Okay. I would have never spelled it that way. Glad you did that. Here's the poster. See the poster? Got it. And look, there's the ridicule poster. That's how serious I am. That's how much these movies influence me. That's not just for the show. They're always up there. Okay. Then Bella. We talked about Bella. Number five, Jojo Rabbit. You must watch Jojo Rabbit. Um, and then number six is A Hidden Life. Now, when you watch A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick, it's going to be a double feature. I want you to watch A Hidden Life first. Then I want you to watch Casablanca because they're actually the same movie, just two different styles of filmmaking. And for those of you who have seen both, you're thinking I'm crazy. Watch them again and you're going to see I'm a genius. OK, um, now the three the three filmmakers I want you to study are Taika Waititi. You must watch every film by Taika Waititi. All right. Not just Thor Ragnarok. Boy, you got to watch Boy. OK, you have to watch Hunt for the Wilder People, but you got to watch Jojo Rabbit first. Number two is Terrence Malick. The reason I want you to watch Taika Waititi, by the way, in all of his films is because he's he's Maori and he's Jewish and he has this brilliant sense of life. He has a great use of humor in a very Polynesian way. Only some, um, only you, when you watch his movies, there's a whimsical, it's whimsical and gentle in a way that is Polynesian humor. Um, Terrence Malick, it's his sense of the transcendent, of God being transcendent and the role of the human person in creation. All of his films, To the Wonder, beautiful film, and Tree of Life. So you should watch all of Terrence Malick's films. And then and then, and then the third is Mel Gibson. You should study Mel Gibson's films from Gallipoli all the way to Hacksaw Ridge. What oh, you're going to yeah. see in all of his films, Gallipoli, The Passion, Braveheart, The Patriot, um, Hacksaw Ridge, is that violence is repulsive. What I love about Mel Gibson's films is they say his films are so violent. No, no. Apocalypto. His films aren't violent. Any more or less violent than a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. But they don't make he doesn't make violence attractive as pro-life activists. We're repulsed by violence to the innocent, violence to the vulnerable, violence to the human person. Nobody does a better job of showing that violence is not attractive. Violence is ugly than Mel Gibson. OK, so now I got my list out. How much time do we have to go through these movies? You have 10 minutes. OK, let's do ridicule first. All right. Ridicule. It's French. Does there subtitles? There are subtitles. Okay. And um, I saw this when I was in, in college, I think my senior year. I was the type of student I founded the Pro-Life Student Union. and We didn't have all the great resources you have today. Sort of out there on my own in Hawaii, writing letters and begging pro-life groups to send me stuff. Um, and they would get mad at me because you just asked last month. And I'm like, yeah, I gave it all away. Um, those were different times. And I was the type of person that everyone I met, I would try to argue with about abortion using logic and debate and apologetics. I was a TA, a logic TA, and I would. Um, but then I saw this film Ridicule. And it was about a young nobleman in France leading up to the French Revolution who was also an engineer who had developed a way to drain his swamps because his peasants were dying of malaria and he goes to Versailles with his plans. That's how I was. I had all these plans. I'm going to tell everyone, this is how I'm going to end abortion. I'm going to do this, then this, then that. Here are my plans. And their eyes would glaze over. 
That's what this nobleman did. He goes to Versailles with his plans. His eyes glaze over. He gives up on getting the money because he realizes it's just about partying and relationships. And if you see on the poster, it says wit is the ultimate weapon. Can you see the poster? Mm-hmm. Wit is the ultimate weapon. So he goes back home and his favorite peasant boy dies. So he goes back to Versailles, resolved to get the money by playing the game, by doing what he needed to do to get the money, not by laying out his, his grand scheme and how he was going to drain swamps and, his, and, and, and all of this technology he had developed as an engineer. He was going to befriend people. And I remember it was a, I saw this film and it was just like it, a light bulb went off and I said, okay. I wouldn't have used this term at the time, but a Catholic expression would be the apostolate of friendship, that mm-hmm. I'm going to build relationships and use those relationships and leverage those relationships to defend the vulnerable from violence. Not that I would go so far as using people as a means to an end, but that people were the end and building authentic relationships with, you know, with folks um, that agree with you or don't agree with you along the way, play the game. You know, I have to oftentimes be out till six o'clock in the morning uh, schmoozing people, whether I'm in Washington, D.C. or Hollywood. I'm building relationships, investing in friendships. But then I can. But that's how I do my mission. And, and um, that's I think it's something very important for those of us who are activists to learn. Um, yeah. So that's why I love ridicule. I think every young activist should watch it. Some of the things that you think are inhibiting you from your pro-life work, like tennis or you're on the football team or whatever are actually where you do the pro-life work. Uh Right. Your tennis team, your football team, your band, whatever little tribes you belong to this morning. First thing in the morning, I went to the boxing gym. Trust me, every young man in a boxing gym that trains with me is going to be pro-life in eight weeks. I never bring it up. They follow me on social media. They'll watch my interviews. They'll start reading articles and they start messaging me. Time after time after time, this happens. And so it's, it's, it's through relationships. Uh, that's how we influence. And so I think that's why I love the movie Ridicule. All right, you sold me. I wrote it down. I'm going to watch it. What about I, number two? Oh, look bored. Okay. Number two. No, you told me. I wrote it down. It's on my to-do okay. list. I've added number to my to-do list. is Amazing Grace. I would do a double. I, I said Malcolm X is a double feature with yeah. that. Also, maybe The Searchers with John Wayne. The Searchers. What I love about The Searchers with John Wayne. It. It's John Wayne and this young uh, man are off to rescue a woman who had been kidnapped by the Comanche, and uh, it's a it, the journey takes a lot longer than they would expect, but they don't quit. You know, we're around a lot of folks, Kristen, that I pejoratively call tourists. They show up, they make a lot of noise, they act like they own the place, they tell everyone what to do and they leave. (laughs) Uh, Then they spend the rest of their life saying that they could have ended abortion, but we're knuckleheads. No, it's not that easy, right? It's a lifetime of work and fortitude. And so you get that from the searchers and you get that from Amazing Grace as well. So do a three movie, Amazing Grace, Malcolm X and the searchers. Okay, number three is- What's the one I can't pronounce? What's behind you? Oh, ridicule? No, the other one behind you. Cyrano. Cyrano. That movie right there, guys. Come on, look at there. There's Cyrano de Bergerac. It's a play. Maybe many of you have read the play, but 
don't watch the American or English versions of the play and or Anglos. We don't get we don't get Cyrano. You have to watch a French film. And I would say watch the Gerard Depardieu version. What I love about Cyrano is it's really one of the greatest love stories ever told. And you may watch it and go, why is Jason making us watch this? But it's again, it goes back to what William Wilberforce said, that we're too young to know. What is it? We're too young to know it can't be done. Yeah. We're too young to know what's impossible to do. Cyrano says um, when he's fighting death, which is what we're fighting, death says to him, don't you know it's useless to fight me? And Cyrano says, um, better, far better that the odds be totally in vain. Man fights for far more than the mere, mere hope of winning. And um, that's right. What I like about Cyrano for, for young people, for students, is it gives you a sense of life. What's interesting is I discovered him in eighth grade, the play, the movie came out later. So many people that I love and respect in film or in politics, I find out they also had sort of a devotion to the play, Cyrano. So it's just a spiritedness, a sense of life, courage, mm -hmm. um, joy. And you know, another thing is that, um, we're surrounded by people that are conforming to the spirit of the age. Yeah. And as we follow the ridicule method, those of you who are young and seek to gain influence and positions of influence, whether in politics or film or whatever your vocation is, if you see, seek to do that, you will do that. But the, the, the closer you get to your goals, the more the, the, the more the sort of mimetic desire to conform becomes very powerful. And Cyrano is like a rejection of conformity to the norms of society because you're conforming yourself to something transcendent. Mm. In a way, he's like a secular saint. This, you know, he's the guy with the big nose. Don't watch Roxanne. Watch Cyrano. Okay, watch it. All right. And then what's the other one I didn't know? Hidden Life, I know because that's new. Casablanca, I've never watched it, but everyone I think generally knows about that. What about this Jojo the Rabbit? What the heck is that? Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. You've got to watch Jojo Rabbit today. Okay. All right. You have to watch I'm Jojo just not Rabbit as cool today. as you. you Let's just be Boy. very clear. Boy. Okay, so Jojo Rabbit. Can I tell you what it's about? And then you're going to go. This I've been watching was... Buffy the Vampire Slayer rerun. So this is where I'm at. By the way, didn't Diablo write for them? I think Diablo Cody wrote for Buffy. That would make sense. I mean, it's very much like a teen angst thing. And I think there's a pro-life episode she wrote for Buck, but I, I could be wrong. Okay, so Jojo Rabbit. First of all, let me set the stage. It was written by Taika Waititi, who's Jewish, and, and Mari. It's about a little boy who is in the Hitler Youth, and he wants to be the very best Nazi he can be. And his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler, played by Taika Waititi. So you're like, why are you telling us to watch this film? It sounds crazy. This film is so beautiful because what Taika does is he makes a young boy who's in the Hitler Youth a hero and a sympathetic hero, a young boy that's been seduced by the ideology of his age. That's mm -hmm. a brutal ideology. But, but he looks, you look into this boy's heart and he actually got criticized for making this film. It's, it's unbelievable. You, you should Google around. I, I looked at some of the reviews in this age of cancel culture. And, and for those of us who are pro-life as well, why I think it's important is ideologies of evil are very powerful. Mm -hmm. People we love all around us conform. 
right? They conform to these ideologies of evil that are dehumanizing. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means it's really hard not to conform to the spirit of the age. And so that's one reason to watch this film. The other reason is he just he, he has such a memory for what it is to be a child. And, and, and it's very whimsical. It's very kind. It's very serious. There's a scene in there. It's one of the hardest scenes to watch in Hollywood history. A very, very painful scene. It's just such a beautiful film. But then in the midst of it all is a celebration of freedom, that freedom was ne- will never be extinguished, that the human spirit can never be crushed. And even in the midst of this tyranny, you know, one of the, the, the icons of freedom in the film is the Hitler youth teacher who is really rebelling against the regime in his own way. It's, it's a very clever film. And again, I would watch all of Taika's films. I would watch Jojo Rabbit, then I would watch Boy, then I would watch Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, but really, Jojo Rabbit is up there with my favorite films. And again, it's with The Hidden Life. Now, Hidden Life, you need to drink coffee, watch it at 10 a.m. It's a Terrence Malick film. But it's again, it's about a young Austrian farmer, married children, who re- refuses to say a loyalty oath to Hitler after the Germans annexed Austria. Even though his bishop, it's a true story, the, the hero of the film, Franz Jägerstadter, is now a blessed in the Catholic Church on his way to canonization. But he refused to say the loyalty oath. My wife refuses to watch it because she knows with my work, and I'm doing a project in Yemen right now and other parts of the world, that she doesn't like it that I travel to. She refu- I really want her to watch it because his wife is very supportive of him up until the point he dies. Um, but again, it's another film that all of us are constantly being drawn to conform to the spirit of the age. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is about a hidden life is, is about this hero. Let me tell you my favorite scene. There's an artist that's, that's touching up the icons in the church. And Franz is talking to the artist and he says, you know, he's admiring his work. And the artist says, you know, really, I want we want to make saints through our work. But at the end of the day, all we make is admirers of saints. One day I would like to make a work of art that inspires others to become saints. I believe this was Terrence Malick sort of confessing that his films in a way are icons that he would hope that he too could be like Franz to stand up to such an evil to this point. So it's sort of, I believe, uh, Terrence Malick is breaking the, the, you know, the wall, talking directly to us in a way. It's, it's the writer is talking to us or revealing a secret to us that all of us have, right? That we all hope that in the face yeah. of um, death or danger, that we would still maintain our convictions. So A Hidden Life is awesome. And again, watch it with Casablanca because Rick, in many ways, is like uh, Franz. You know, he owns a tap, he owns a bar, Rick's Cafe and little casino there in Casablanca. So you're saying, what does Rick have to do with Franz? Well, there were two men uh, standing up to uh, a horrible ideology and refusing to conform. Uh, so to me, and Casablanca is actually... So much more, you know, it's a popular film where yeah. Terrence Alex films, um, they're not everyone's cup of tea, although he's my favorite director. All right. So now I know what I'm doing the next two, three weekends is watching all of these films. I've been Googling them as you've been talking. 
Um, this is a great list of homework. Thank you, Jason, for coming on today. And I hope this uh, conversation that we've had on today's podcast has been helpful for you uh, and kind of picking out some movies that your Students for Life group or your Right to Life group can watch, have discussions, invite some of those folks on the fence, some people maybe you've been having conversations with um, who wouldn't normally come to a pro-life group meeting, who will join you, that will open up that dialogue that, that you need, kind of break through and use the power of storytelling, of filmmaking, of personal experience um, and real life emotion to really start to challenge some of your friends or family members' beliefs on abortion. And we also have our own homework for us for how to feed ourselves and for us to continue on in this in this work and not to be tourists, but to be here for the long haul uh, and to truly be that pro-life generation and to live out and fulfill our life's calling to end abortion lifetime. So, Jason, thanks for joining today. Um, how can everyone follow what you're doing, Movies Movement, the movies that you're doing, your podcast? Where can everyone get in touch with you? Yeah, well, you go to movietomovement.com. You can see our new movie, Divided Hearts of America, starring Benjamin Watson. It is a beautiful, powerful documentary that has the secret that can unite America right now. Um, so go to movietomovement.com for that. And uh, my podcast is The Jason Jones Show, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's and just- your show is so popular, you have a corporate sponsor now. You have somebody. Go to mypillow.com, get your Christmas <laughs> presents, use the code Jones. For pillows, mattress toppers. Yeah, we now have we have corporate sponsors lining up. We're picking and choosing. Your podcast is just kicking my podcast ass, apparently, because I don't have any corporate sponsors. <laughs> you know what you should use? You should do, you should do my pillow spots and use the code Jones. Just tell people the code there Jones. Yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll get right on it. <laughs> thanks for joining me today. And thanks to guys for tuning in. Make sure you hit subscribe. If you don't haven't subscribed yet, I don't know why you haven't. And spread the word about the Explicitly pro podcast. See you next week. Bye. All right, everybody. I hope you liked it. I hope you watched these films. Email me at jason at movie2movement.com. Jason at movie2movement.com. And let me know what you think of these films. I hope that I inspire some people to watch some of these films. Ridicule, Cyrano, Jojo Rabbit, Hannah Arendt. Um, tell me about your Taika Waititi marathon. I want to hear all about it. My introduction was, was rambling and bizarre. So I'm going to give you a short and to the point end of the show. This episode is being brought to you by movie to movement promoting a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film and the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world. We don't back down. We're not taking the hemlock. We're going to knock the hemlock out of your hand. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. Become a monthly donor. $20 or more, you get a free copy of my book with John Zmirak, The Race to Save Our Century. And when you do become a monthly donor, you know you are standing shoulder to shoulder with the most vulnerable people in the world. And we fight the culture of shunning. Um, also, you got to get those pillows. So go to MyPillow.com. Use the code Jones. And you get deep discounts on your pillows, your sheets, the Giza Dream sheets, the mattress topper, which is the top of all the products for me anyway. All right? So go do that. Until next time, it's the Jason Jones Show. 
This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh,